Well, hey girls, welcome to another episode of Brave Heart Talks. Can you believe we are just four days away from conference? Four days away from conference. We are so excited. And hey, if you have still not got your ticket, I promise we will make room for you. Do not miss out. I am super pumped for what is coming up, what we have planned, and of course, most importantly, what I really sense and believe that God is going to do over this coming weekend. Well, in this series of Brave Heart Talks, we've got something a little bit different for you. Because, you know, I am constantly getting asked the question around the area of happiness. Like, I have girls come to me and say things like, you know, I just do not feel happy. Like, I'm going through the motions of life, but I'm not happy in my life. Or people who experience happiness, it's it's very short-lived. Like, it doesn't seem to stay around long. I'm just not a happy person. I don't seem to have a lot of happiness in my life. But what I've discovered along my life is that happiness is, it is a feeling, it is an emotion. And actually, there is a key, a biblical principle, a key to finding happiness that is more than just a feeling, but it is a fulfillment. And that key is gratitude. And rather than me just talk about it today and do another podcast, we actually spoke on this very thing last year. We did a collection of talks in church called The Pursuit of Happiness. And I actually talked around this very subject about how gratitude is not a feeling, but it's a chosen attitude. It's a disposition. But honestly, it will lead you to living the happiest and most fulfilled life. And so if you want to know more, check out this next 30 minute talk and enjoy as we talk about all things relating to happiness and gratitude. You know, I get to close out this series that we've been in this collection of talks about the pursuit of happiness. And it seems like the world is not a very happy place right now. Like it seems over the last couple of years, it is almost like we are struggling to find happiness. We have just come off the back or are still recovering from a two-year pandemic, which took the wind out of our sails, right? And then last weekend, we experienced three storms in one weekend, which while the storms in and of themselves weren't perhaps as bad as were made out they were going to be, what was bad was the fear that the media spread amongst us. The fear of risk of life and red warnings and people who've just come off the back of a pandemic feeling fearful now won't go out the house because of a storm because now they also feel feel fearful. And this week we wake up to the news about Russia invading the Ukraine. The world is becoming a fearful place. So it almost seems like it is impossible to pursue happiness. So how do we go about this? And I want to take you to the Scriptures. I pull all the threads of the last couple of weeks together. And I want to take you right into Scripture to show you that pursuing happiness, to find true happiness in your life, it all starts with this thing called gratitude. And I've given today's title a subheading and I've called Gratitude is a Chosen Attitude. It's not something you feel like 
just when all your ducks are in a row. It's not something that you just get up and feel one day because it's a good day. But actually, it is a chosen disposition. And when you choose to live your life with a life, with, it, with an attitude of gratitude, I want to show you in the scripture how you don't just find happiness, but how you find stability, how you find joy, how you find peace, how you find the loving kindness of God that takes you through life. Because happiness is not when there are no adverse circumstances around, but true happiness and peace comes only from God that takes you through the circumstances that you are facing. And so, you know, when you've been Googling and researching things and, and then Google throws suggestions your way to read. When I opened my laptop this week, it gave me this report that said, in positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. So here we have scientists, psychologists, and doctors coming together to agree with what Scripture told us thousands of years ago, okay? That they are saying, actually, if a person can live with true gratitude in their life, they're going to be stronger, they're going to be mentally healthier, they're going to be more peaceful, they're going to just live a better and more fulfilled life. So right from the off, I'm going to take you into Scripture because I want to speak to you from a story today that is found in the book of Luke. And it's actually the second part of the story that I want to be our main focus. But before we get to the second half, I want to introduce you to the first half so it will just set this up beautifully for us. So it's in Luke 17, and Jesus is walking with his disciples towards Jerusalem. It says he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, 10 men, all of them lepers, met him. They kept their distance, but they raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Taking a good look at them, he being Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priests. And they went and while still on their way, they became clean or they became healed. So we've got 10 leprous men standing a distance away from the village. And they see Jesus coming and they start shouting to Jesus to have mercy on them. The reason they were at a distance was because they'd been excommunicated. The reason they were at a distance because they were not allowed to live in community with the rest of the village because leprosy was a highly infectious, highly contagious disease. Leprosy was a life of misery. It was open sores where your flesh was rotting and being eaten away by a disease. These men probably would have had fingers and toes missing, even maybe some limbs. And they had to do life outside of the village. It was a painful existence. Their dreams of ever living a normal life were shattered. Their dreams of ever doing the regular everyday things that everybody else got to do were just gone and over. 
being able to raise their children, being able to hold a loved one. All of their dreams were shattered. They were put outside. It was a kind of isolation. And we all know what that's like, right? To be isolated from the ones that you loved. We've gone through two years not being able to hug mums and dads and brothers and sisters, but we had FaceTime and we had good old Zoom and we were all Zooming, but these lepers had nothing. They were outside the village. So all they could do was stand on the outskirts and watch from a distance as their friend got married. And all they could do was stand at a distance and watch as their kid had its first day of school. But they couldn't come close and they couldn't interact. These lepers, they lived together. They formed a community with their open sores and their misery and their pain. They formed a community and they formed a friendship. And you know, we do the same today. Quite often, we will find people and align our lives with those who are going through the same thing that we're going through. We find people who have experienced what I've experienced. And what happens is, though your flesh may not be rotting, your conversation can be. Because you start to talk about the problem. You see, she went through a divorce and I'm going through a divorce. So when we get together, we talk about how rubbish we think men are. And they've had an offence, and I've taken offence. So our conversation is how bad we think the church is. And what you have to understand is that though somebody may have the same issue as you, it doesn't make them good counsel for you. Okay? Your flesh may not be rotting, but your conversation can be. And these lepers would gather together and they would talk about their misery and their pain, but one of them looked up one day. Because it only takes one of you to avert your eyes in a different direction. And he saw Jesus was coming to town. He saw Jesus was heading towards their village. And so when Jesus was coming by, they knew there was an opportunity for everything to change, for they'd heard stories about this guy. They'd heard stories that he was a miracle maker. They'd heard stories and now he's coming their way but he's heading towards the village. So they're on the outside. They start shouting, Jesus, Jesus, hey, have mercy on us. What they're saying is, Jesus, don't forget about us. Jesus, we're over here suffering. Don't look in our direction, Jesus. Don't forget about me. Have mercy. And the scripture says that Jesus looked at them from a distance and he gave them a command. He said, go and show yourself to the priest which kind of sounds a bit weird unless you understand the context and the culture of the day. For the priest was more than just the head of the church. The priest was like judge and jury over the whole town. And so anytime there was any sort of a dispute between two people, they would take their disagreement before the priest and the priest would bring discernment and wisdom and he would decide who was wrong and who was right. The same went if you had an affliction, if you had a disease that meant you had to be separated from the community. You would have to go and show yourself to the priest if you thought you were better or in remission or you'd been cured and the priest would decide whether you could go back into community or not. So when Jesus said to them, go show yourself to the priest, what he was saying to them was, 
Go to the priest and he'll verify what I've already done for you. You've cried out to me for mercy. You've called out to me for help. Now my command to you is go and show yourself to the priest and see if I've done what you have been asking me to do. And I love this because Jesus doesn't heal them on the spot and they're instantly healed. They don't cry out to Jesus and Jesus prays over them and there's a healing in front of everybody. They cry out to Jesus and Jesus gives them a command, just a word, just the sound of his voice, which says, go and show yourself to the priest. And the scripture says, as they went, they were healed. As they went, they were made whole. I wonder... Could it be the same for you and I today? That we have to have faith on the Word of God before we see a physical change in our lives. You see, what we do is we pray and we pray and we pray. Then we look at our marriage and we look at our kids and we look at our health and we go, prayer ain't working. But the truth is, these guys had to start moving in the direction of the Word before the healing ever took place. They had to trust God when everything looked physically the same. They had to make the first move, even when it looked like nothing had changed. So often when you are believing God for something in your life, when you're praying over a situation in your life, His Word to you will be an instruction telling you that motion is required before a miracle can be acquired. You have got to make the first move. Do you believe what you're reading in my word? Do you believe I am who I say I am? Why are you praying to me? Why are you calling out to me? Is it because you believe I will do what I say I will do? And if you do, then you need to start moving first. You see, God will do all that he can do, but first... He expects you to do what you can do. So what does God's instruction look like in your life? Well, maybe you're the one praying for a restoration in a relationship. Maybe somewhere in your family unit, there is a breakdown. And maybe you're praying, God, I want a restoration. And maybe the word of God to you is send the text of apology. And you're there going, but I didn't do anything. See, I didn't start it. And God says, but you're the one praying for the miracle. You're the one praying for the restoration. So pick up your phone and send the text of apology. If you don't think you've got anything to apologise for, just start by saying, I'm sorry, it's been so long since we spoke. Start there. You see, it's an instruction. And when you do what you can do, wait and see what God can and will do. Maybe God's instruction to you is apply for multiple jobs. And you're sitting at home and you're praying faithfully, God, for a job. And God says, then I want you to do all that you can do. Get online, apply for as many jobs as you can, and then see what I will do. Maybe for you today, God's instruction is you need to separate from that relationship that's just not healthy for you. You know it's not healthy for you. You know it's not good for you, but you feel stuck in it. And you've been praying to me for peace of mind. And you've been praying to me. 
to feel loved. And you've been praying to me for that release. My instruction for you is you need to break away from that relationship. Yeah, but God, I don't know where I'll go. Yeah, but I don't know who I'd be with. Yeah, but I feel vulnerable. I'm on my own. I know. But when you've done all that you can do, then see what only I can do. That's why it tells us in Matthew 7, ask, knock, seek. It says, ask, and it will be given to you, but you've got to ask first. Seek, and you will find, but you've got to go looking for it first. Knock. I've got a wealth of opportunity for you, says God, but if you don't go knocking on the door, no door is ever going to open for you. So ask and seek and knock first. These lepers trusted God at his words, and I just wonder how different your life and my life would look like if we just started to trust God at his word and started to put some motion in place to what he is saying. Because if you can make the move, God can make the miracle. You know, you've heard it said so many times, particularly Luke Hill, often talk about the early beginnings of church. But I kid you not, it was like, if ever anyone was going to look at a group of people and go, what on earth are you doing? We were that group of people. So there's like 12 of us in a living room praying earnestly that God would use us in this city to do something great, to build a great church, to be a beacon of light. 12 of the oddest bunch of people you have ever met. And we sat there and we prayed. And when I say we had nothing, I mean we had not a thing We started the church on a £20 note. £20 is what we had to our name. We did not only have a building, we didn't have a chair. We not only didn't have a chair, but we had no congregation. We not only didn't have a congregation, we didn't even have a band per se. We had a guitar and a bit of a put together drum kit, no keyboard. That was us. But at some point, we had to get out of the living room and start putting motion to the miracle that we believed God had put before us. We could still be there now, 12 years later, earnestly praying in the living room, just believing that one day God will use us, just believing that one day God will do something through us. But God's command was, if you believe I've said this to you, you need to get into Liverpool and rent a space and start gathering. And we did. And we looked ridiculous. We were like peas rattling around in this great big room. And you know what? Even in our early days, and and I'm saying this to draw a parallel to these lepers here, because these lepers, they turned and they were running towards the priest. And as they were looking down, they still had sores on their body. They still had toes that were missing. But they're running towards the priest in full faith of what Jesus has said. But I bet everyone was laughing at them. I bet everyone was looking at them and saying, what are you doing? You're still bleeding. You're still full of sores. You know, when we started the church, no one wanted to align themselves with us. We reached out to many across this city and everybody closed their doors and everybody didn't want to know because we looked ridiculous. But we knew that God had given us a word. So we kept going in our motion. So you've got to keep on moving forward. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, I just can't have faith in a God I can't see. I just don't know how to have faith. I'm going to tell you now, you are full of faith, full of faith. 
And I'm going to prove it to you. Because every single one of you came in here today, you put your butt on the seat and you just got on with church. Not one of you got on your hands and knees to check that all the four nuts and bolts were securely screwed into the chair. You just had faith that when you sat on it, it was going to hold your weight. That's faith. Do you know it takes faith to go to sleep every night? Because you just assume and have a confidence you're going to wake up in the morning. That's faith. You just need to start directing your faith into the hands of God. Though he be a God you can't see, I would rather put my faith into the hands of an almighty God than into the hands of chance. So you can believe God for that which you can't see. So the lepers, they walk to the priest and by the time they get to the priest, they're healed. By the time they get to where God has told them to go, um, they are completely healed. Can you imagine this? Men who thought their lives were completely over. This miracle meant that fathers could go home to their children. This miracle meant that husbands could go home to their wives. Young men could go back to their parents' house and be held and hold on to their parents and be hugged once again. This is who our God is. When Jesus gets involved in your future, the miraculous happens when you take him at his word. If you can start to trust him and walk in the direction that he is telling you to go, the course of your future will change. That what was broken in your heart can be healed. That which you lost can be restored. You can have hope again. You can find purpose again. When you can put motion to your life, God will intervene in your life in ways that are unimaginable to you right now. But it all starts with you acting on his word. But the story doesn't end there. And this is what I really want to major on. In verse 15, it says, one of them, one of them, when he realized that he was healed, turned back around and came back to Jesus. You see, 10 of them got healed. Yet only one returns to thank Jesus for what he's done for him. One of them returns to thank the one who's changed my life forever. He understood that I have what I have because of a someone. So, before I kiss my wife, before I play with my kids, before I see my friends, before I return home, I'm going back to the one who made it all possible for me and I'm going to give him my gratitude. I'm going to give him my thanks. He understood this, that gratitude should never be withheld and neither should gratitude ever wait. And I don't know if you've ever been the one who's remembered to go back and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my life because I remember who I was. I remember where I was. I remember when I didn't have a job and look at me, I'm up for promotion. But I'm going to take a minute to go back in my mind and remember those dark days and I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus, for the job that you've given me. 
I'm going to go back and I'm going to remember my days when I was single and I'm going to thank Him for the husband, for the wife that I have. There's not a day in my life goes past I don't get on my knees and thank Him for my health. I will never take that for granted. Remember what He did for you. He gave you breath in your body. If you're here today, then your heart is still beating. Is that not enough to be thankful to God for You know, if you're anything like me, you can read this story and you can look at the other nine and think, what blooming idiots. Like, what? You just got what you wanted from Jesus and you ran off. But you know, the sad thing is, the other nine are in fact the majority of us in the room. You see, the other nine, they didn't actually do anything wrong. They just got excited with what they'd been given. So they ran off to plan their future. They got excited with this new lease of life, and so they just ran off, forgetting about the one who'd actually given them the desire of their hearts. They probably had every intention of returning to Jesus later to say thank you, but this one man remembered, gratitude should never wait. Psalm 37 says this, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, wow, like, okay, just stop. Let's breathe, pause. Not he might, not possibly, not he'll weigh up your situation, but the word of God says, you delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Like, you hear me right when I say this, prayer is good and prayer is right all of the time. But some of you are so hard and busy praying, you're not even delighting yourself in the Lord. Let me put it into this context. Delight yourself in the Lord. It just means, God, you have all of me. I'm not going to pick and choose when I turn my Christianity on and off. I'm going to conduct myself in a a manner worthy and due your name all of my days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right through to Sunday. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to remember my moral standards. I'm going to live my life by the Word of God. God. My prayer is going to be a regular thing. My praise is going to be allowed. I am going to be in church. I am going to be in my life group. I'm delighting myself in you, God, just getting on with my life. And all of a sudden, what happens is you realise, I'm in that relationship. I was praying about being in a relationship last year, and I'm in that relationship. All of a sudden, you realise I don't have that sickness in my body anymore. Like, wow, when did that happen? Because all of a sudden, you're living in the desires of your heart. Oh, and you realise you've got the very thing that you've been praying for. But now what happens? You become so consumed with the thing you now have, you forget to delight yourself 
in the Lord anymore. And now what happens is all the priorities take your attention. The thing you've been given averts your attention somewhere else. And now what happens is the desire of your heart takes precedent over the one who gave you the desire of your heart. Now you're that consumed with your blessing. You forget to be grateful and thankful to the blesser. Now you're that absorbed in your miracle. You forget to give thanks to the miracle maker. And what starts happening is you start missing church. We don't see you as often as you used to do because you're busy. You've got other things going on. What happens is your voice is void of worship. And because you don't have a pressing problem in your life anymore, prayer is now no longer a priority. And you stop delighting yourself in the Lord. But I'm telling you, the Lord is looking out. May he find this in Liverpool One Church. He's looking for a heart of gratitude. He's looking for a people who are going to serve him and worship him just for who he is, not for what I can get from him. And as I live my life serving and praising my God, a byproduct of that is he just gives me what is close to my heart because my God knows me better than any man ever will. So this one man turns back. But the other nine, when they left the priest, they just ran off home. They went on to find their wives and find their kids and celebrate with their friends. But this one man knew, I have, before I go into my tomorrow, I have much to be grateful for today, first. And he was the one who chose to put Jesus first. You know, the last 12 months, Luke and I have been renovating a home. And um, it really was a mammoth project that we thought would be fun. And uh, we took on this huge project. And um, it has been a year, let me tell you that, an absolute year. But we are living in our house now and we love our home now. But whilst we're living in it, what we see now is what is not being done. So like, you know, I've become the snagglist queen and I can see cracks appearing and where plaster needs repairing and things that haven't been filled and put back quite right and all the little things. But not only that, we've got rooms that we haven't touched yet and bathrooms that have not been built. And, and, and sometimes you get so overwhelmed with what has not been done. And the other night, Luke said, hey, come and look at this. And we sat down and his phone You know when your iPhone pops up what you were doing this time last year? And it brought up all the photos of us working in the house this time last year and we both felt sick. Like where we were this time last year was horrendous. And then I couldn't believe how far we'd come. I couldn't believe actually what we're living in today compared to where we were this time last year. And I want to tell you, sometimes you just got to look back to realise how grateful you are. Sometimes you've just got to take a moment and and, and go back and remember. We so quickly want to forget the past because we want to move on. But you've got to remember where you were because it's only when you look back you can see where God was in your life. Actually, even when you didn't know Him, He was there. You've got to look back just to remind 
remind yourself just how far you've come so you can be grateful for what you have today. You know, every time you're thankful to God, every time you're grateful to God, it's like taking a layer of wrapping paper off a present. You know, like a past the parcel, and every time you take a, la- a layer of wrapping paper off, you're closer to getting the prize. And you don't know when that prize is going to come. Gratitude is like that. Every time you're giving gratitude to God, you're getting closer and closer to the desire of your heart. Last weekend, it was little Clara Rutledge's second birthday. She had a princess party on the Saturday with her friends. So on Sunday, I brought her gift into church for her. And before church started, I got on the floor with her here and had a pink bag and all pink paper in it. I said, Clara, this is your gift, especially for you. Do you want to open it and see what's inside? And she looked me dead in the face and she said, no. (laughs) I was like, well, Clara, there's a gift in here. Elsie's at the side, jumping up and down. Like, Elsie's like, let me add it, let me add it. I said, but Clara, there is something in here just for you. Just take the paper off and have a look. No. Do you know, when we withhold our gratitude from God, we withhold a blessing from coming into your life. That's exactly what that looks like. Sometimes God's just like, but I've got this for you. And you're just like, yeah, but you know how bad things are at the moment, God. It's like really tougher down here. And we don't know how to express gratitude and therefore we withhold our um, blessing. We pray when we're in need. We pray when we want something, but we fail to understand that the breakthrough, that the answer lies underneath a wrapping called gratitude. And if we could just learn to express gratitude to God on a daily basis, you will have the desires of your heart. We've got to learn the art of saying thank you, people, and getting very specific with God of what you're thankful for. You know, one of the things that used to stress me out when I was a young mum and my kids were all small, the thing that would stress me out was their birthdays and parties because they would get so many gifts of friends and family and the kids that would come round and it would just be mayhem of wrapping paper. And I would be behind them shouting, stop, I need to know who's got you what. And I'd be making a list. This was of auntie so-and-so, and this is off your cousin, and this is off your friend. Why? Because it was important to me that they wrote letters of thanks. And I hate generic thanks. I think generic thanks can be quite rude. So I'm like teaching the kids, listen, somebody thought of you. Somebody went to the shop just for you. Somebody selected a gift for you and paid a price so you could be blessed. So we're going to say thank you. And I would make them write their letters with their names. You've got to get grateful to God. Listen, nobody else can thank God for the detail of your life, only you. And he's listening for your voice. He's listening for your voice. Get into a habit of saying thank you for the simplest of things. So this story in verse 15 says, when one of them, when he realised that he was healed, he turned around and came back, shouting shouting his gratitude. 
glorifying God. He kneeled Jesus' feet so grateful. He couldn't thank him enough. And he was a Samaritan. And I love the way that it tells us that his gratitude to Jesus was loud. He didn't come back to Jesus and say, hey, mate, can I have a quiet word? He didn't come back to Jesus and slip a note in his pocket. No, 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 no. It says he came back shouting his gratitude, making it known so everybody could hear him. I am thankful to God. But you know why I think this was? I love the way that he was loud because the whole of the duration of his illness, he'd had to shout that he was unclean. You see, in Leviticus 13, a law was passed that said if you contain, if you uh, contract the disease called leprosy, then you have to go on the outskirts of the town and everywhere you go, you have to shout, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, don't come near me, I'm unclean. You had to let everybody know you were ill so that they could not come near to you. He's like, I have shouted about my misery for so long. I'm going to shout about the good things in my life. I've been shouting for so long that I'm losing my life. I'm going to use the same voice to give glory and thanks to God to the life that I have now been given. He'd yelled about his suffering and now he's yelling about his life again. He'd been shouting about his misery and now he's shouting about his miracle. And you know, all too often, we get loud about our misery. We talk, 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 talk about what's going wrong, about what's not right, about what is happening in our life, what we're unhappy with, what we're fearful about. We will talk to anyone and everyone. You will meet a perfect stranger in the foyer and you will tell them everything that's wrong in your world. You talk about your misery on social media. You jump online and you're telling everybody your opinion of what you think and what is going wrong in the world today. But may you be the one when God answers your prayer, may you be just as loud and just as audacious about the good things that God has done in your life. May you not be loud about your misery and silent about your miracle. May you be the one who shouts when the doctor said there is no way my God made a way. May you be the one with the loud and the bold voice who says, I know Jehovah Jireh, He was my provider. May you be the one who can testify that what was impossible with man, what's made possible with our God. That is the God that I serve. Are you going to be quiet with your faith? Are you going to be silent? Or are you going to let people know the goodness of God and what Jesus has done for you? Let me tell you what audible gratitude does for you. It gives you more than just happiness. It gives you a deep-rooted joy. Because if you can celebrate what is good, then you're not focused on what is bad. If you can talk about what's going right, you can kind of forget about what's going wrong. When you focus on what you do have, you're not so caught up with what you don't have. So this one guy came back to show gratitude to Jesus. And Scripture tells us he knelt at the feet of Jesus and he gave praise to God. You know, I love this. Because at the beginning of the story, we read about 10 men who had to keep their distance. They couldn't even come close to Jesus. They were shouting, Jesus! 
this. I'm over here. I'm unclean. I can't come near to you. But Jesus, don't forget about me. I need a bit of a miracle in my life. And this one man, when he realised he was healed, he realised so much more than that. This one man was like, he's healed my leprosy, but he's taken my shame. He's taken my reputation. He's taken my uncleanliness. I don't have to stay away from him. I can come close to him. And the one who came back knelt at the feet of Jesus and said, Jesus, I get it. I see what you've done. You see, let me tell you, church, your obedience will bring about your healing, but your gratitude brings you close to Jesus. You don't just want to be healed. I think this one guy, he realised, you know what? Though I have my healing, I've still got to go and work at my marriage. I've still got to go try and raise my kids. I've still got to find employment. And I know I can't do any of that well unless I first draw near to Jesus. You want a blessed life? Draw near to Jesus. You want a great marriage? Draw near to Jesus. You want to raise your kids well? Draw near to Jesus. We're going to remain seated at this point. And I'm going to pray for us all in here. And I'm particularly going to pray a prayer for those of you who feel that you might be the one who has been on the outskirts. Maybe you've been the one who's been afar off from Jesus because you're like, he wouldn't want to know me. I couldn't really come to the church because, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I, I've done this and I've got this going on in my life and I'm carrying guilt and I'm carrying shame. I'm carrying unforgiveness. But I want to tell you today that Jesus, the same Jesus, He's here, He's ever-present. And He said to you, as He said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. He's given you a command See what I will do in your life. Just got to have faith. You've got to have faith in the word that's been spoken. So I want to pray over you. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you don't know what it is to come close to Jesus, I'm going to ask that you repeat this prayer in your heart. And when I've finished, the band are going to come out and I've asked Josh to sing a special for us. And it will be a song that you're familiar with, but the song is called Gratitude. And I wonder if we could all just take a moment collectively together, but in this moment with our eyes closed, that we could just absorb ourselves in the words, in the lyrics of gratitude, and just have that moment of thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. So if this is you today and you want to be close to Jesus, let's repeat this prayer in our hearts. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that I find myself here today. I thank you, God, that you're a God who wants to be in relationship with me. Today, God, I'm calling out to you in my spirit, and I'm saying, Jesus, I recognise there's areas of my life that have been unclean. 
but I'm calling out to you today, Jesus. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins, to take my shame and draw me close to you by the power of your name. Thank you that today I can call myself a child of the Most High God in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.